I'm excited to close out our series that we've been studying in the book of 2 Corinthians. And uh, if you would, turn to your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. And as you're doing that, I have a question for you. Um, how many of you in this room have ever disappointed your dad? Okay, we got some people who do that. Um, listen, I remember a time in my life where... Um, you know, I, I had a, my dad, I asked my dad to come with me to like this band thing that I was doing in eighth grade, like kind of like a band banquet at the end of the year, you know, and so um, not a lot of people in school at this time, it was like towards the end of the year, so my dad came with me, we, we were at this thing, and for whatever reason, like I kept leaving, like I kept leaving him, and like to go with my friends at other parts of the school, and he would just be by himself, so my dad told me, he's like, hey Rob, don't leave me by myself, like I, I, I don't know where you are, I don't know what you're doing. Um, so just don't do that. And I did not listen. I doubled down. Like I left for even longer next time. And like me and my buddies would just like, we would run around like the, the halls of the school, like just, you know, you know, whatever type of people we are. And we, we like ended up in the band room and like there's no one there. And we're just like doing nothing, you know, thinking we're cool. And then my dad, after like a long time, my dad came and he opened the door and he's like, we're going, we're going home now. And I'm like, oh boy. Like, have you ever been like knowing that you like, I am in trouble and I'm just wait, like, we're, we're in public. So not a lot's going to happen right now, but we'll see what happens <laughs> as we get to the car. That's kind of where I was at. So I'm just kind of waiting. And then my, like, as we were walking in, I was like, what's he going to do? Like, what's going to happen? And uh, my dad, he looked at me and he wasn't angry with me. He didn't like shout at me, but with like great emotion in his voice. He was like, Rob, I, I asked you to to stay close to me, and you didn't. Like, I, I asked you to do this, and I, I just don't know what's going on. Also, like, you could have, like, you were just in random places with guys that I don't know, and you may be doing a good thing, and you may have been doing the right thing, but you could have been around guys who were, were not doing the right thing, and you could have been guilty by association, and it's just not wise, and honestly, and then he said it, and he said, I'm just disappointed. I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, dad, yell at me, berate me, like spank me as an eighth grader. I don't care. Just don't tell me you're disappointed with me. Like that's the worst as a kid. Like I, I, I hated that. And you know, many of you who are parents in the room, like you may have understood this idea that like when you teach your kids how to do something or teach them a particular way, or you're trying to teach them how to be like just normal productive members of society, and then they do the opposite of what you told them to do, and then you're just kind of left with like the weight and responsibility, and you're just like, ah, you missed it, dude. Like, oh. And there's, there's a weight that we all have as parents, the people who are parents in the room, because like you want the best for your children, right? Like you want to see them like find the extent of human flourishing that they can experience. You want to put them in places that would, they would reject the ways that would bring them down and that would hurt them and hurt other people and violate God. Like this, like this is what we all want as parents. And so when you see your kids and they don't do that, you feel like this weight of responsibility of like, man, I got to let them know. Because I don't want to see them get into a place that they could be going. And this idea of like this responsibility for your kids, this is where we find the Apostle Paul in our final installment in 2 Corinthians. Paul, he's been writing to the church that he started, the church that he loves, the group of people that he's so just passionate about and wants to see their best for them. And what he has heard and what he has seen is that these people are doing the opposite of what he tells them that they need to do. 
They're, they're not living in a way that would show that this group of people follows Jesus. They're not living in a way that would declare that, they, that, that they're changed. And so Paul, what he begins to do is he, he writes to them, and as we finish out this, this letter, we hear the final instruction to this Corinthian church that Paul says. And as we, as we listen to this, we need to recognize that this final instruction to this church 2,000 years ago is not just for this church 2,000 years ago. This is an instruction that we, as Crosspoint, need to heed. We need to listen to. Because if we don't do what Paul says that this church should do, then we will miss out on what it would look like to be a church that sees the power of God moving through them. And so, my question that Paul is going to answer today is, what kind of church should we be? What kind of church should we be? So if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. And as Paul begins to write in this section, we see um, that Paul is about to address this group of people who continually is like trying to like bash him. They're trying to uh, like question his credentials. They're trying to question his character, his integrity. And what Paul is about to do is he's about to just be like, listen, guys, like, I'm going to tell you once and for, like, finally, once and for all, like, I've been saying it for a while, I'm going to let you know the reason why I'm coming to you guys. Like, I've came to you two times before, I've written you other letters, like, I'm coming to you again, and you might think I'm coming for ulterior motives and ulterior reasons, but I'm just going to tell you straight up, this is why I'm coming to you. And so this is what, this is what he, he says that he wants the Corinthian church to know and to do, and this is, this is what he says in verse 14. He says, here... For the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, or I got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go. I sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Do we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking that all along that we have been trying to defend ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. Why? All for your upbuilding, beloved. The first thing the Apostle Paul tells this, this church that he wants, the, what he wants them to be all about is he wants them to recognize and know that Paul was willing to sacrifice himself for their spiritual good. Paul was willing to sacrifice himself for their spiritual good. Paul was, he's, he's saying and he's proving, he's like, listen, I'm not trying to exploit you guys in any way. I'm not trying to enrich myself in any way. And one of the ways that I'm going to prove it to you is that I'm just not going to take any money from you. You say that I'm all, I'm just like this guy who's trying to like swindle you out of stuff. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to, I'm going to prove to you this, but I'm not going to take any of your money. Like I, I, my whole goal in me coming to you, in me writing to you, is that you grow it's that you understand who God is and what he wants for us and what he wants in the, in the institution of the church. 
Like Paul, his end goal was he was to spend everything that he had for this group of people to know God and to live a life in reflection of the fact that they know God. And if it requires Paul spending everything that he has for them to know God, he's going to do it. If it requires Paul like spending everything he is, he's going to do it. Because parents sacrifice for the kids. Kids don't sacrifice for their parents. You know, we've all seen the stories of like those, these child stars who make a ton of money, millions of dollars uh, as a kid, and then when they become like an, a teenager or an adult, they have to like legally separate themselves from their parents because their parents were like this greedy, money-hungry people who are trying to control all of the money that it, the parents have. And we read these stories, and I think all of us collectively are just like, that's not right. Like that violates something within us. And I think it's because God's law is written on our heart. We, we understand that it's... It should not be the case that parents want stuff from their kids and will, it, it, the, the kids shouldn't have to sacrifice for the parents. The parents should be the ones sacrificing for their kids. You know, my friend Charles, he told me a great definition of parenting a while ago. He said, parenting, I realized, is just cleaning up messes that you didn't make, you know? And I have, a five, I have a three-year-old and a five-month-old, and nothing has ever made more sense to me in my life than that. But it's true. Like Paul, when, he, when he's looking at these people, when he's writing to them, he's like, listen, I know it sounds like I'm defending myself to you, but I don't, I'm not really defending myself to you because you're not the ultimate authority in my life. You're not the judge. And so what, he, what he's doing, he's, he's telling them that, listen, I am a representative of Christ, Christ is the head of the church. What you are not realizing is you are not acting like what Christ says you should be acting like. And I'm going to come to you and I'm going to tell you this. And I'm sorry if you don't like it. I'm sorry if you think I have ulterior motives. I'm sorry if you think whatever. But I've got to do this because I'm not doing this for your approval. I'm doing this for God's approval. So I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. And Paul, the thing he gets out of this relationship with the Corinthians is the Corinthians. Like, he, did, he didn't want to get anything from them. What he wanted was them. He didn't, want to t- he didn't want anything from them. He wanted everything for them. And it was all for the growth. It was all for the development. It was all for them to know God and to act like they know God. And he goes on to specify some of the specific ways in which they need to grow, in the ways that they need to like move forward. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, he goes on to say this. He says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be some quarreling, some jealousy, some anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. Paul says that if, if this is the list that describes your church, then this is not a church that has the Holy Spirit at work. You know what I'm saying? If, if you truly have the Holy Spirit of God at work in you, that means you have the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you. And if you're producing the things that Paul just listed out, then it doesn't sound like you have the Holy Spirit of God at work in you. 
He goes on to say in verse 21, he says, I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I might have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, the sexual immorality, the sensuality that they have practiced. Paul, remember, Paul is the spiritual father to these people. He started this church. He, he saw he, what they're doing. He's, hear, he's heard the rumors of what's going on. And he's, he's not somebody who's like separated himself out from it, being like, you guys stink. I can't wait to just like tell you what's going on. Paul is like a good parent, is including himself in like the responsibility of this church. He's like, man, I'm, if I come and I see that the continued stuff is going on that shouldn't be going on, I'm going to have to mourn. I'm going to have to grieve. Like this is, I, I don't want this. You know, Paul right now is acting kind of like a dad who is out of town, but hears that his kids are throwing a house party at his house and is like driving home. And like calling him, he's like, listen, if I hear the stuff that's going on, it's not going to be good. Like I'm going to be really upset. I'm going to be really, really uh, unhappy about this stuff. But listen, a good father, when they see the error of their children, when they see their children going down a path that's going to hurt them, that is going to hurt other people, that is going to violate God's standard, a good father because they love their children, will step in and, and, and tell them the right way to go. Because again, as a parent, you want the best for your kids. And if you see them going down a path that's not good, you have to tell them. You have to tell them. And it's Paul's, he is the spiritual father. And his end goal, his end result is not to get anything from them. It's for their growth, their development. In verse 13, he says, this is the third time I'm coming to you. Like, I've, I've come to you two other times. The second, pain, the second visit was a painful visit. It wasn't great. This is the third, third time I'm coming to you. And then Paul gets super practical about how he's going to be taking care of business. He says, he says um, uh, uh, in, in the next verse, he says, every charge... Every, every like infraction, every sin, all this stuff, uh, they're not going to be any backroom dealings. I'm not going to be like some of these spiritual leaders who uh, just arbitrarily decide who gets away with what. Uh, I'm not going to like, you know, show favoritism. Like we're, we're going to be really practical here and I'm going to let you know that if, if someone says anything that's going on, there's something wrong with the church, like we got to make sure that there's evidence for it and we have to deal with it accordingly. So he says like every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who have sinned before and all the others... And and I warn them uh, now while absent, as I did when I was present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Since you seek proof that Christ is working in me. Like people the whole time were just like, he's not really, like look at it, look at all the stuff he's doing in his life. Christ's not really working in him. He's like, listen, I, I, you seek proof, whatever. And this is what he says. They say he, they, they call him weak a lot. And he says, uh, he, meaning Christ, is not weak in dealing with you but is powerful among you. For he, Jesus, he was crucified in weakness, but he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. When Paul is talking about how people in the church are supposed to interact with each other and deal with certain things and sin and infractions going on, what Paul is saying that we should do is we should take the rubric of our leader, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus. And what Jesus did was that in order to become powerful, 
he became weak. Jesus, God himself, who is all authority, all powerful, he humbled himself to the point of a man in death, and he died on a cross. And it was when he humbled himself to weakness that we saw the power of God at work through the resurrection. And if Paul is saying, if, if you want to be a church that, that does things the way God wants you to do things, then you got to get to a point where you humble yourself to the point where you're weak towards each other. You're weak towards God. And you get to the point where, you know, the there's sin in going on because we're, we're messed up and we're people. But what we need to do in these scenarios is we need to be weak to the point where we say, God, I, I've messed up. Like, I don't know how to deal with this on my own. I can't figure this out. God, would you help me? God, would you come in here? Would you, I, I need you to take control. I, I don't have any, I'm so weak. I don't have any ability to do anything. And that's a moment where God wants to say yes. That's a prayer that God always wants to say yes to. God, I need your help. I would love to help. God, I need you to forgive me. I've been waiting for you to ask me that for a while. I'm so ready to forgive you. And when we are weak, when we admit that we don't have it all, that we don't have really anything to offer, that's when the power of God will come through. We need to be weak towards God. We need to be weak towards other people. When we say, like, man, I messed up. I, I, I sinned against you. Like, we need to be the opposite of the world who kind of puffs up and like doubles down and be like, I'm right, you're wrong. No. We need to be weak towards each other and say, I, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? It's then and only then when we can really experience the power of God at work in us and in our church. So what does the Apostle Paul want the Corinthian church to do? Number two. He wants them to deal with their sin. He wants them to deal with their sin. When you deal with your sin, you have to humble yourself. You have to turn to God. Because the reality is you can't deal with it on your own. If you're still trying to manage sin in your life, sin is really managing you. That's just the reality of it. And sin is such a big deal. Like, I think one of, the, one of the chief problems that we have in, like, the modern church is that we don't take sin seriously. Like, what, what the Lord tells us about sin in Scripture, he literally says in Romans that sin leads to death. Like, we think that we can flirt with sin and we can, like, you know, leave whenever we need to, to leave. Don't be deceived, people. Sin always leads to death in our lives. It may have a short fuse, it may have a long fuse, but don't get me wrong, the fuse will light. And the explosion will happen. And what we need to recognize is we got we to gotta be a people in a church that really takes sin seriously. Do you realize how seriously God took sin? God, again, who is perfect and holy, the only way that, we could, that he could really deal with sin in our lives was to send his son to die for us. That's how serious it was. If there was another way, it would have happened. But the only way that we could defeat the sin in our lives was to have someone else come in and defeat him for us. And if God takes sin this seriously, if that he's going to send a son to die for us, then we need to take sin this seriously. We can't play around with it. 
We can't, let it, we can't let it run rampant in the church. We've got to be people who are constantly trying to eliminate the sin in our lives. And if God sees sin as a big deal, we must also see sin as a big deal. So Paul tells, tells this church, you got to deal with your sin. And Paul is so serious about calling out sin that he says something that's kind of offensive to this group of people. Like if someone told me this, I'd be like, how, that hurts my feet. Like, what? How dare you say that about me? Like, this is what, this is what Paul goes on to say. And he, he's like really serious about sin to the point where he questions them personally. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. <laughs> That's pretty serious, Paul. He says, test yourself. Or do you not realize that this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you failed to meet the test, I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. <laughs> I love Paul's confidence. Like, I'm good, but you guys, you know? Like, Paul's saying, hey, listen, the way that you've been living your life has not indicated to me that you have a, you have a transformed heart. And so what you need to do, the Corinthians, is you just need to like ask yourself, are you really saved? Does Jesus really live in you? Have you ever had a moment where you've turned from your sin and trusted God to save you with everything and that you made him your, your Lord and Savior, that you do whatever he says, that he is your master, he is your commander, he is your Lord? Like, have you ever had a moment like that? You know, some people, um, some people hope that they're saved. Some people will... Uh, they, they think that, like, oh, I'm probably more saved than I'm not saved, you know? Like, I'm probably okay. Um, you know, some people, when you ask them, like, hey, how certain are you that, you know, you've, you've turned and trusted Jesus, that, you, that he's going to save you? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, a lot of people, when you ask that question, they're like, I'm probably like a 7, you know? Um, like, I'm pretty, I'm like, I'm pretty sure, you know? What, what the Lord wants you to know, and what the Apostle Paul is instructing this church, is he's actually saying, hey, you, you got to know you got to know. You, you actually can know. You can know for sure that you're saved. You're not, have, you, have you ever had a moment like that? Have you, have you looked back at your life? Like, just take the inventory of what you, your actions over the last six months. Like, what, what's, what's going on with you? You know, at uh, middle school and high school, I had this, like, dumb thing that my friends and I would do. Um, we, like, this is dumb. Like, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. But, like, the, when, anytime anyone would say, like, anything, we would just yell out this phrase. We would say, Prove it. Like, prove it. You know, it's, this, this, again, it's stupid. This made me laugh for some reason all the time. Like, any, like someone would be like, man, I love football. NFL starting back up. We'd be like, prove it. Prove it. Watch every game. You know, whatever. And that's like, that's, again, that's dumb. I'm not, it's not even that funny. Uh, like, pe- people would say things like, they would say things like, you know, like, dude, I, I, I love this pizza, man. Like, prove it. Eat the entire thing. You know, eat it. Prove it. You know? Or it'd be like, man, I'm so, so tired. Prove it. Sleep right now. Do it. You know? <laughs> Again, it's dumb, but that's like, that's like comedy for me. That's great. Um, it was amazing when we got to math class and we, like, you know how you like have proofs in math? We just, that, that was a problem for us. Um, listen to me though. What the Apostle Paul is saying right here, he's saying if, if you are a Christian, if you have turned from your sin and you've trusted Jesus and you've accepted this free gift of grace through faith, there's nothing you can do to earn it, but you've just accepted it. 
Um, if, if you have a transformed heart and mind, prove it. Prove it. He said that there's a list that he mentioned earlier, and it's like this list of like the flesh and the way this church was acting, and this list includes quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder, impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality. He says, this is the list that has been describing a lot of you guys. And if that's the case, we know that, you know that's not actually the, the list that, of the fruit of the Spirit. You guys know this? You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. It's kindness. It's goodness. It's faithfulness. It's gentleness. It's self-control. And what the Apostle Paul is wanting us to do, wanting the church to do, is he wants us just to look at our lives take inventory of the last six months to a year. Would you or the people closest to you say that you identify more with the first list or the second list? Which list do you most identify with? Paul is saying, he's like, listen, you got to examine yourself. You got to test yourself. You got to take inventory. You got to look at the statements. To, you got to see if you really are in the faith, because if you really are in the faith, if you really have been changed by Jesus, if you really have accepted this free gift of grace, then your life would prove it. Your life would prove it. And then finally, as we finish up this letter, the last thing that Paul tells this church is that he desires that they would be restored and act like Christians. His desire for them would be they, they would just, they'd be restored. That this sin that, that was messing everything up, that's separating, that's hurting, that it wouldn't be something that moves them away from each other, but through the weakness that we identify with Christ, we see the power of God coming through and that restoration would happen. In 2 Corinthians 13, 7, it says this, But we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. And for this reason, I write these things to you while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in use of the authority that the Lord has given me for the building up and not the tearing down. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for reconciliation. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet each other with a holy kiss. Don't worry, we're going to clarify that before we leave. I don't want any rogue kissers going on after the service today. He says, all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You know, what Paul wanted more than anything for this church that he loves, that he planted, 
he wants the people to just obey the Lord. He wants them to obey the Lord. Paul is not this, uh, this pastor who's trying to flex his authority over a congregation. No. Paul is, is so hoping that this letter that he's writing and sending before him, this will be like a catalyst of transformation and reformation that will take place in this church. And he is hoping and he's praying that they would begin to do the work and heed his warnings so that when he gets there, he doesn't have to flex his authority over them. So that he can just be this, this encouraging pastor to come to, to love and support and encourage rather than having to be this like prophet who was correcting always. This is what he wants for them. He wants them to aim for restoration. He wants them to always look for the ways that we can come back together. He wants them to comfort one another. You know, earlier on in this book, we hear about a God who is the God of full of comfort. And we're supposed to comfort each other with the comfort that God has given us. And if that's the case, and we're to be a part of what God is doing in this world and through this church, then we need to be a people who comfort each other with the comfort that we receive from God. We have to agree with one another. And this isn't just like complete uniformity on every single thing, but this is like, let's, let's agree with each other. Let's not be divisive. Let's not be people who are constantly looking for what we hate. We, we love each other. We agree with each other. We want to be people who live in peace with each other. You know, peace is a gift that only God can give. Peace is, is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And peace, if you follow Jesus, if your heart and life has been transformed, you should just kind of like ooze this peace about you. This should be who you are. This should be evidence in our church. The only way that will happen is if we let the love and peace of God work through us. And now I need to address this holy kiss situation. Um, you know, that's, you know, that's, we're going to, surely we're going to have one dude who'd be like, well, I'm just trying to follow scripture. And he's going to go up to a girl that he's hollering at and try to, you know, kiss her. But let me tell you, don't do that, first off. Spoil, that's not what we're doing here. Um, the, the New Testament, a kiss was seen as uh, a sign of respect and greeting and love and reverence and of reconciliation and of family uh, fellowship. And this is kind of like the standard what would happen over here. And what the Apostle Paul did is he took this kind of ritualistic thing that brought a lot of people together, and he said, this is a holy kiss. And so what, what he did is he, he jumped on kind of like the foundation of what the practice that, that was taken when people would, would greet each other like this. And he said, this is a holy kiss. And what would happen there was this was like, this was like a, not just a social custom anymore for them. This was like a sign of mutual fellowship among all different types of people who followed Jesus, who were part of the family of Christ, so if we did that, we don't have, like, that's, we have no basis in our culture for kissing like that. Um, that's weird, you know. I think celebrities still do this. Like, I don't know, like, you see them on interviews, and they're just, like, kissing each other, and you're like, how do they do go to class? You go to take, like, a French class for every, to be ever celebrity? I don't know. Um, but what, we have to figure out what, what is the heart of what Paul is trying to say here. And what Paul is trying to say here is that we've got to figure out a way 
to express and to show our mutual love for God and each other to each other. Like, how are you going to show the people around you, the people in this church, this just respect and love for God and for people? How are you going to do this in a tangible way? This is what Paul is saying that we need to do. And so finally, we get to the question here in 2023 in Huntington Beach, California at Cross Point Church. We return to the question of what kind of church should we be? What kind of church should we be? I have four short things. To be the church that God wants us to be, we must pour ourselves out for the people that we're entrusted to lead. All of the pastors, the staff members, the deacons, the trustees, the small group leaders, the or volunteers, any people in our church who have any sort of uh, spiritual oversight or authority over anybody else, what we need to be a people that it is all about is we need to pour ourselves out. We, we need to not be about what we can get from other people. Everyone needs to be about what we can give towards other people. This is, you know, we, we will pour ourselves out. We will spend ourselves for people because people are a worthwhile investment. You know, we, we invest, it, it should cost us to invest in people because people are costly. You guys know this? My children have cost me a ton of money. And I'm happy to do it because I love them and I want to see them grow and I want to see them develop and I want to see what God could do through them. And this is the mindset that we have to have in our church, that we will gladly pour ourselves out for other people. We will gladly pour ourselves out for people that we're uh, over. If you want to leave a legacy that lasts, serve other people. If you want to be remembered, try to be forgotten and serve that's the way you can impact people. And when you do that, you actually reflect the heart of God who poured himself out for us. So we got to pour ourselves out for the people who are entrusted to lead. Number two, to be the church that God wants us to be, we must deal with sin. We must deal with sin. If God thinks sin is a big deal, we need to think it's a big deal. We hold the line on sin because God holds the line on sin. God is so righteous and perfect and holy. Sin cannot enter into his presence. That's why Jesus came. And because of that, um, we need to make sure that we don't flirt with sin, that we don't allow sin. Like it's, it's a big, big deal. And if we allow sin to kind of run rampant in this church, then we will find ourselves losing the power of God. Because again, you have to become weak and humble and admit before God's power will shine through you. We've got to deal with sin. Number three, to be the church that God wants us to be, we must confirm that we're saved. We must confirm that we know Jesus. We need to confirm that we need to not think that we're saved. We need to know that we're saved. And we, we, again, we need to recognize salvation. It is a gift. We cannot do anything to earn it we don't deserve to get saved. It is purely an act of grace, like it's a gift of grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We, the, but the question is, what is your next step? What is your spiritual next step? Maybe for some of you, you've been coming to church for a long time, and you've never had that moment where you've turned from your sin and trusted Jesus to save you. Maybe some of you have been in the church for a long time, and you've just been kind of flirting with Jesus, but have never made that commitment 
And can I encourage you? I don't care how long you've been here. I don't care how embarrassing it might be for you. If we want to be the church that God wants us to be, we have to be real about where we are. Let's be real about the fruit that we produce in our lives. If you're producing things that it's not great in your life, maybe, I'm not saying this is the case, because as, as Christians, we still have our sin nature within us, and it's a, it's a fight, but as we are growing in a relationship with God, hopefully the sanctification work of Jesus is, is making us more and more like Jesus. But maybe you've never made that decision to, to follow Jesus, and you need to make that decision. And what's amazing, if you ask God, God, will you confirm? I don't know for sure. Would you help me? Would you confirm? Would you? God will do it. God will do it. So we got to confirm that we're saved. And the last thing, if we want to be a church that God wants us to be, we need to always pursue reconciliation and act like Christians. Because here's the deal, guys. You're going to offend this person. This person's going to offend you. You're going to do some things that are really not great. There are going to be some breakups that happen. There's going to be some other things going on over here. And what the normal response that the world does that has infiltrated the church a lot of times is we say things like, I'm done with them. I'm, I, they said what? I'm over it. I'm blocking them. They're not a part of what we have going on anymore. We hold grudges. We say declarative statements. But God, what he wants us to do to prove that we follow him, that we serve him, is that we always, always, always seek reconciliation. And this is going to be weird. It's going to re- you know what's going to require? It may be impossible for you. It's going to require for you to become weak. See, I... I don't have the ability to forgive this person. I don't have the ability to do this. But God, I know in my weakness, when I identify you with my weakness, God, that's when your power is going to come through. If we want to see, if we want to be a church where we see God's power, we got to seek reconciliation in everything. We can't make any declarative statements. We can't hold grudges. We can't shun people. We got to be people who continually go after seek reconciliation. Be a beggar in every situation. Whatever you want to give me, I'm going to take. And I, and I love you. And I'm, I, that's what we got to be about. And we got to act like a Christian. We got to act like a Christian. We got to act in the way that Jesus would want us to act. Because remember, the organization that we're part of right now is the church. This isn't your organization. You don't come up with the rules. You know who comes up with the rules? The person who built it. The person who died for it. The person who set it up. So we need to be a people who pursue this. And what if we did? What if all of us in this room like individually embodied what Paul is trying to tell us here? What would happen in us? What would happen in our church? Like what would happen when people would come in? That My prayer is that when people would come through the doors of these churches, they would sense the power of God here. Not because we're awesome, but because we're weak and we let the power of God shine through us. So, my brothers and sisters of Cross Point Church, may we be a people who do things the way God wants us to do them. May we be a people that lean into the weakness with other people and to God. And may we be a people who feel and sense God's power shining through a weakness. Would you pray with me?
Jesus, we're so grateful that we don't have to figure out how to interact with other Christians and other people, how to, how to do church. God, we're so grateful that you actually told us, Lord. God, in your word, you have revealed to us how this divine heavenly kingdom ought to operate here on earth. And God, I just pray that you would forgive us when we fail you. God, there are times where we just, we don't do things right. and We puff up instead of, instead of humble ourselves. And God, I just pray that you would help us. God, I pray that we'd be people who, who lean on your weakness so that we can lean into your power. God, I pray that you would transform this church. I pray that we would have just this internal sense of transformation that would express itself out with a lot of other people doing the same thing so that the Huntington Beach and Orange County, the surrounding areas, would say there is something different about this church. There's something different about those people. Lord, empower us to do what you want us to do. Thank you for not having us do it on our own will and our own power, but God, it is you who is able to accomplish all that you desire because you are powerful. So Lord, I pray that you be with your kids here at Crosspoint. May we be a church that looks like you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.